Episode 198 Above Ground Podcast. Just breathe with Dr. Michelle Marks. Disclaimer. The hosts of this podcast, Will Foley and TPP, are not medical professionals, and this is not medical advice. Both Will and TPP have firsthand experience with mental illness. They have their own perspective and own thoughts on mental health challenges. Above Ground Podcast was birthed to help those who struggle with their mental health through honest dialogue. These conversations aim to break down the walls while building stronger foundations for positive mental health. By speaking openly and sharing tools, they foster connection. By fostering connection, they convey hope. With connection and hope, we can continue to increase awareness. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the perspective, it's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. That's right, Timmy. What's up, TPP? Mm-hmm. What's up? Staying above. That's what that's what it's all about, man. Staying what's above. about. Yes. And this morning, we are joined by Dr. Michelle Marks, who is a psychologist specializing in blending traditional and evidence-based approaches to help create positive change in your life. Uh, Michelle will be offering classes very soon and or will be open soon. It is a platform called Psychology for Life, and she is a certified heart math practitioner. She is a tea master, which I'm going to get into later on when we ask a little bit of some intriguing stuff about that. And it's awesome to have you, Michelle. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. How are you doing? I am good. It is my pleasure to be here. I am so impressed and intrigued with you guys for what you're doing. I'm very excited to get to know you guys a little more and to to share our mutual interest in bringing psychology and mental health to the the world. Absolutely. If more we had, we need to have these conversations and that's why we do it and we're very grateful to be what what I've what I've kind of coined the phrase as the curators of hope because we, you know, we have all these conversations all the time and like, this is, this is our thing. So it's great to have you with us. Why don't you just give our listeners a little overview about who you are and what you do and actually why you do it. A lot of us come to this for many reasons. So I'm interested, I'm really intrigued to hear how you found your way into psychology. I kind of found my way into psychology by accident. So who I am, I'm Michelle Marks. I'm a psychologist. I've been a psychologist for a very long time, over 30 years. I started out in um, cognitive behavioral therapy. I was originally trained by Dr. Albert Ellis. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he was the founder of rational emotive therapy. And i that's where I did my psychology internship under him. So this was like gold standard training in what was the gold standard back then. So that's where I got my start. In theory, the cognitive method is so fantastic. I mean, Ellis was probably the first person to move away from psychodynamic therapy, which is what everyone was using back then, and sort of say, what you're thinking affects what you're feeling and what you're behaving. You know, everyone knows that now, but that was brand new back then. The problem I had over the years was that 
it didn't really work with people because, yeah, you could sit in a session and identify all the ways that your thinking is irrational, which also I have a problem with because I think it's really invalidating and it can be shaming to people to, to sit and do that. Um, and then they come up with all these new rational ways to think so that they could have better emotions and react better. And then they leave the session and 10 minutes later, they get triggered and do their old shit again. Can I use language? Anyway, so that's what I kind of noticed. So I, I was sort of turned off to cognitive behavior. And I didn't know if it was me, maybe I'm a terrible therapist, you know, because I come with my own baggage, you know, or, or is it that this method isn't great? Um, and it's neither of those things. Over the years, and like I said, I've been around the psychology block for, you know, a long time. There have been many, many changes in the last 20, 30 years. And the most important thing was this explosion of research into the brain and neuroscience. And what that has taught us is that, yeah, thinking does interact with feeling and behavior and emotions and all of those things work together, but the emotions come first. And you can't talk yourself out of being triggered once you're triggered because it's kind of like your logic gets locked into a closet. It, it you, you don't hear it. It's like you've got the smoke alarm going on and you're running for cover and logic is like, no, there's no danger. You, you can't hear it. And so these new emotion-focused, body-focused, calming neuroscience methods that have come out over the last decade, 15 years or so, have taught us how to manage the emotional part first to kind of quiet those alarms. Then you could hear the logic. And so I do this stuff mostly for me in your second half of your question. I was born very anxious. I'm highly sensitive. I've got all of that kind of stuff. Um, I became interested in psychology because I needed it. And I am mostly self-therapized. I've been in this field for 30 years. I've learned many, many, many methods over the years. Every single thing I practice on myself I tweak to make it practical, then I bring it out to my people. Um, it has helped me tremendously. There's no way in the world I would be able to be sitting here having a podcast interview had I not done so much work on myself. And so right now I'm at the point in my career where I'm sort of transitioning from working one-to-one -to, -one to sharing these ideas with the broader public. There's a problem with access and it used to be psychology for my life. The new platform is psychology for your life. I love it. Thank you very much for bringing this to us and our listeners and, and opening our eyes. Um, I know, I know Tim was intrigued by a couple of the things that he saw, so we might as well get right into that because 
we're gonna have a couple of we're gonna have a little conversation about about shame i think okay well I, yeah i feel i feel like i feel like we're not gonna have enough time for everything that i would love to talk to you about but we'll you, we'll have to have you back on um but just your just your comments about your you're saying emotion is first and i guess I, I i have done my own kind of you know research reading um on neuroscience and and I can't really see it's like I always find that there's no solid what is first. It's always some people think the emotions first, some people think the the um thinking's first. So I guess what the question would be for you is do you so are you saying that kind of calm the body and then take tackle these thoughts and and then like first do the calm the body and then start with maybe some tools? I think that neuroscience is a very, very um, baby field. It's, you know, it's in its infancy. So, and I'm not a neuroscientist, so I have to kind of give that disclaimer first. I'm so fascinated by it. I've done a bunch of training um, and an enormous amount of reading and practicing, but I, I don't have a PhD in neuroscience. I do think that there is, there's a lot of, you know, everyone's running around screaming amygdala, amygdala, like, you know, that changes. But what does seem to be pretty clear is that because we are wired for safety, that sympathetic nervous system stress response has to come before logic. If you are being chased by a predator, there's no time for you to say, hmm, you know, should I this or should I that? Is it a predator? We are wired to react. And so I do believe that when we're triggered, the emotion comes first. And if we're triggered in that way, we have to be able to kind of quiet the alarm and then allow logic to come online. If you have access to logic, use it. But if you, you know, so like, for example, this morning I woke up, I'm going to be on a podcast with you guys. I wake up, I feel something in my body that feels like danger because this is something new. It's different. I've never done it. I now, you know, I'm, I'm a shy person. I never met you. A million things can go wrong. So, so I wake up, and there's a feeling. It's the feeling is there's no thought. There's a feeling. So I have to sort of say, hmm, okay, what's happening? Oh, okay, I'm safe. Nothing. But uh, but if I don't sort of take the breath and calm myself first, I'm going to say, okay, something's wrong. What's wrong? It feels like something's wrong. Something's wrong. Okay, I shouldn't do this podcast. I better, you know, tell them I'm canceling, you know, I, or whatever. Quit being a psychologist, you know. You <laughs> so, can... so the feeling that you felt, you're saying that feeling, then creates the a thousand things could go wrong thought. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you so the feeling is a feeling of something that feels familiar, like anxiety. So if there's anxiety, then then my brain is like, oh well, I'm anxious about. It. There must be something to be anxious about what could there be to be anxious about. So once you start doing the work of just knowing what your own tells are, yes, what I your was, yep. first signs are, then you could sort of stop and say, okay, I'm feeling this feeling. 
pause. What's really going on here? You know, and then it's like, yeah. oh, actually, I'm excited, you know. So I get I, one of the things that you just said with the, you know, if, if you're being chased by a, you know, a dinosaur or whatever, and you have that, that's the safety mechanism. So I guess in today's world, can we, should, should we calm the body and then ask ourselves, is the thought actually a fact? Because we could be, like you said, we could be scared and then think about it and, you know, what we're scared, you know, the, our feelings aren't necessarily facts, I guess is what right. I'm trying to say. So yeah. in that aspect, it, you'd still stay on that same calm the body first and then stay in your, you know, rational mind, I guess, wise mind. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to, you have to, so mindfulness has to come first is what it okay. is. You have okay. to kind of notice, okay, that I'm triggered. My alarm is going off. You know, that's the first thing you have to. So an analogy or metaphor, I confuse those two, that I always use is the smoke alarm in the house. I don't know if you've ever had your smoke alarm go off when you're cooking. I have it happen all the time. Our threat system is like the smoke alarm. It's not, sm the threat system is not smart. The threat system doesn't know if your house is on fire or if you burnt a piece of toast, you know? So if every time that smoke alarm goes off in my house, I run out of the house screaming because the house is on fire, I'm going to have a problem. But if I could sort of notice in myself, okay, my alarm's going off, what's going on? Is it burnt toast or is it a fire? You know, so you have to know what your own alarm feels like. We're equipped with these things, but they're not nuanced. So love it, love it. Yeah, that that's that's awesome. Coming back to this part about the triggers and things, uh, Tim and I have had conversations about this, and I I kind of coined the phrase the limbic jukebox. Like my limbic jukebox is full of records that I've played. The, the grooves are so worn down that mm -hmm. they just automatically, that needle does not move. Yeah. In, in that limbic jukebox, are those emotions? Are, are those thoughts about emotions? I'm, I'm trying to put the emotion together with the, with the thought and, and probably trying to make like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with emotion, thought and trigger, I guess, maybe. Yeah, well, they all kind <laughs> of work together. They, you know, like we can try to deconstruct them a little bit, but they all, they all come and they feed each other. A song has multiple elements, something that's playing in the jukebox. You know, you've got the guitar, you've got the drums. You've sure, got you got vocals. melody, you got harmony, yeah. you got rhythm, you got... Yeah. You know, she's speaking our she's speaking our language, Will. She is. <laughs> yeah, I'm very curious about you guys and your connection to music. So maybe we'll get to that. Oh uh, yeah, we could talk about that later. Yeah, yeah. The thought can come first or the feeling can come first. But whatever it is, once one is happening, unless you kind of stop and take that pause and say, Hey, what's really going on here? They're gonna just keep feeding each other and feeding each other. And it becomes a, a repetitive loop. So it's just yeah. like running a loop through a loop station where it just yeah. constantly plays. Yeah. And I call that ruts, repetitive, unhelpful thoughts. Ah, yeah. I love that. That's great. Yeah. yeah. So I made that up. So let me ask you this because that just popped up. So the ruts, 
Can you give us a little insight and maybe some tips on how to maybe either not necessarily stop the ruts, but kick ourselves, kick ourselves up out of the rut? You know, how do we stop tripping over the rut? Yeah. So I'm going to go back to the emotion part first. You have to sort of quiet that alarm a little bit, you know, or recognize because if the alarm is just blaring and you're panicked that the alarm is blaring, it's going to be very hard to get out of that rut. And so once you can kind of sort of allow your thinking brain to be online, then you can use some of those cognitive tools like I learned with Albert Ellis. So yeah, so the questions that you can use. And so I've got a, a little tool for this too. I, they're all kind of D tools. You can distract yourself from the thought. You can detach yourself from the thought. Or you could dispute the thought. So if it's just one of those ruts, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I'm playing this tune again. You know, I, I, I'm familiar with this. Oh, I, this is how I always, you know, once it's like a familiar thing, sometimes it's like, oh, here we go again, you know? So one thing that sometimes works is just find something else to do. Lower the volume on the thinking and, and, and put yourself into something else, you know? Or you can detach yourself. And there are lots of ways to detach yourself. One of my favorites is to give that thought a name if it's familiar. And I'm sure you've heard about like internal family systems therapy or um, therapies that talk about parts and things like that. Um, you can name that unhelpful thought if it's like something that becomes a so I call mine when I get into my critical thinking I call that sunshine you know she shows up it's like hello sunshine thank you you know so that sort of allows me to make it separate from me another way to detach is to just say oh I notice that I'm having the thought so rather than I'm a bad person I could say oh I notice that I'm having the thought that I'm a bad person or, oh, my mind just produced that thought again. So those are ways to detach. And then the third thing is, like I said, dispute. Is this thought helping me? Is this thought true? What's the evidence? So all of those are great tools that you could only use when you're in your right mind. That makes sense, actually. A lot of sense. I wanted to ask you about breath work. And the reason I ask you about breath work is because it seems to me, as you as you talked about the three D's, that breath work would actually be a really useful tool for people to to learn how to detach from themselves because they can give themselves a, a minute or two to yeah. to separate themselves. And also, and and to kind of come back around to the other side of that, you you talked our language about naming things because I'm very I've gotten very into like emotions as far as learning that my emotion that I feel at first is not necessarily the emotion that's really there because there's usually other layers of emotion that maybe, you know, as a man, uh, you know, we generally men really tend to think of anger a lot of times. And then it's never really always anger. It's always that third or, you know, second, third or fourth level of hell that we go through in Dante's Inferno. How can breath work help us reset ourselves? Yeah. So when you notice 
that you've been triggered. And like I said, I kind of try to teach people to notice their first tells. With me, I have over the years noticed that I get tingling feelings in my arms when I'm triggered. You know, I've I've really learned to take a breath. I mean, it's as simple as that, but you have to learn how to take a calming breath, you know? So just a simple, just a simple stop, pause, slow breath. What's going on here? I felt myself settle a little bit. Then I, okay, all right. What's, what is happening here? You know, we've got the fail safe. If it really is a danger, if someone is chasing you, if someone has you at gunpoint, your body's not going to allow you to like calm down. That's not going to be available to you. But in these normal situations that we have, where we do need to do that exploration, what is what am I really feeling? What's really going on for me? What do I really need? Are there layers to this? Is there shame on top of this? You know, is it, I think, yeah, I mean, a, a breath is an easy thing for people to learn and it can calm the nervous system just enough to give you access to the ability to question yourself in that way. Can, can I guess, um, repetitive practices of either breath work or or meditation, yoga, you know, or, or, or someone's interpretation of meditation. Can, can these repetitive practices overall help like decrease the whole, you know, calm the nervous system down in general? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, when we don't use these practices and another um, term that I use that is one of my trainings that I have is called psychological fitness training. When we don't practice these tools over and over and over again, yeah, the alarm system is just hyperactive. It starts to go off, not even in burnt toast. It starts to go off if you, you know, turn your heater on. It goes off if someone walks by and, and speaks. So the more we use these practices, yeah, we can learn to kind of recalibrate ourselves kind of back to you know our factory default settings so we weren't we may not have been born hyper aroused I mean I think there's ancestral stuff too but that could be for another conversation but you know most of us you know we're born not overreactive and then life and trauma and things that happen to us sort of teach us that way. So yeah, these repetitive practices, making a daily practice of breathing, of meditation, of yoga, of journaling, having something Correct. on the agenda every day over the course of time totally can recalibrate your nervous system and allow you to have better access to these tools and strengthen your inner resources, resilience and confidence and flexibility and all of those things yeah. you need I, to function. I like the word recalibrating for sure. I use uh, my term is uh, routine maintenance is, yeah. you know, cause we keep up on routine maintenance on our vehicles and, you know, other things that we own, but, a lot of times what I see is people don't 
look inward or take any kind of routine maintenance on themselves. No, so. it's ridiculous. And we only have one self. Yeah. You, you only have one body. You only have one you to navigate this life. And we don't tend to it as well as, you know, we tend to we should. <laughs> our favorite t-shirt. Yes. You know? You're right. You're absolutely right. I Yep. I fully agree. I've said that before. I think that I guess what you were saying before is, you know, we're born a certain way. We're not born with this trauma, this, you know, these. Now, where does these traumas, the, the where does this shame, is that through life experiences and situations that we are in that we develop these? I think that most of us um, start to develop shame very, very young shame is this kind of feeling like something about me is wrong you know and then you start to feel like so everything's about safety we know I mean we kind of know this everything is about safety so if we develop this feeling that something about me is wrong then just the essence of ourselves triggers unsafety and we are just unsafe. So how do we develop that something about me is wrong? You're a little boy and you cry and someone tells you boys don't cry. You know, you're a little girl and you're assertive and someone says nice girls don't do little tiny things that happen even before before we have language, it gets encoded implicitly into the brain without language. And we just, and then there's just this feeling that something, you know, who I am. And I call this authenticity stress. Just who I am is not safe. And over a lifetime of those things accumulating, yeah, where you know, lots of us are just walking around with lots of shame. You hit upon a really wow, an aha for me and and stuff. But I kind of want all these little micro abrasions that we absorb as 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 young people. What happens when there's not just those micro abrasions of of those things where, you know, boys don't cry, but what happens when you do not legitimately feel safe or you realize at a very early age that the people around you cannot provide you what you need? Well, I mean, it's bad. I mean, that's, that's where people develop these deep attachment wounds. It affects the ability to interact and to function I mean, we are social creatures. We are designed to only feel safe when we're socially safe. So whether we're talking about a neglectful parent or a rejecting parent or things that are way worse that happen to people, when you're really young, it's very difficult to blame the other person for that. So it's another layer of shame. We turn it on to ourselves who these people are supposed to take care of me. 
and they don't, there must be something wrong with me. They're hurting me. There must be because I'm bad. And the world is not a safe place. I mean, the, the, the so many layers of what can happen. And all of this is encoded usually without language. It's just this deep feeling of unsafe. What is something that we can start? How do we find safety for ourselves when we've already had so many years of dealing with these types of things? How at our age, how as we're older, how do we start to, is there, is there's no hack for any of this stuff. It's, it's really deep work. So what happens when at, at, at this age, when you start to realize that you have to do deep work, how do you just, how do you start to accept that and, and start the process? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, and I'm not sure if this exactly answers it, but it, it it's kind of what comes to my mind as you say it. The first thing I think people have to recognize is that there's nothing wrong with you. This is something that is a glitch in the wiring that has occurred because of something. Your brain is doing it right but your brain doesn't understand the nature of what has happened so that so you're so there's nothing wrong with you i find that for almost anyone i have ever worked with there's something about the normalization and the validation of you feel this way for a reason. It's because of the way you're wired. It's because of what happened. And even if you feel it so deeply, there's nothing wrong with you for feeling this way. Once you can get that, then maybe you can start to have access to some self-kindness and self-compassion. And that is the doorway, I think, to all of the rest of the healing. If it's if it's about the shame and all of the self stuff, self-compassion is the doorway to creating that sense of inner safety. I, you know, I'm I'm okay for who I am. And even if when you start doing it, you don't believe it. Like Tim said, repeating it and repeating it and repeating. And I know this from myself. I told you at the beginning of this conversation, I have done all of this work on myself. And I and over the years of practicing self-compassion and other kind of positive psychology kind of tools and mindfulness and all, when I get one of those critical thoughts, I instantly, it's my new reflex, it's my new rut. I instantly respond with, hey, you're okay. I, like, But at first, when I would have these horrible thoughts and I would try to say something kind to my, it sounded so fake, it, you know, it, 
You you hit upon something because Tim and I had this conversation recently. I kind of wanted to ask you because I I think positive psychology for some people is very hard to accept because sometimes it feels like bullshit. And it feels like you're bullshitting yourself sometimes to to fake it till you make it. And is, is there a little bit of that in there <laughs> that you have to fake it until you make it if you can't find the ability to really believe it? I don't think so. I The way I use positive psychology, and I've been involved with positive psychology from the very, very beginning of positive psychology, I think it gets a bad rap because I think it has turned into this sort of happy police thing. And, you know, oh, be grateful, be that, you know, be this, smile, be optimistic. And positive psychology is about practices that help us connect with our positive traits, help us develop positive emotions, but it's not about bullshitting ourselves with the compassion, the way I work with people with compassion. So, so I have a client right now who I'm working with on compassion and she feels like people are going to think she's stupid if she presents in front of her class, right? So what she thought she was supposed to be doing is saying, no, I'm going to do great. I'm so smart. I'm smart. I'm smart enough. I'm going to do great. That's, that's bullshitting yourself. Compassion is even if I don't do great, even if I'm not smart, do I have the right to be a happy person who's loved? Do I have the right to be a worthy person? Can a person who's not smart, who screws up a presentation, still be a worthy person, um, deserving of kindness? That's self-compassion, and there are no limits to that. I, you, you, you just hit the buzzword worthiness, <laughs> worthiness, and I could see it in Tim. And I'll, we've talked at length about uh, like off off of this and just in our own conversations about worthiness. So where does worthiness start from? Does it start at that beginning stages or is this, and, and obviously we're all works in progress and all of this is, is all of this is progressive as we go on. So where does worthiness come from and where does it start from? Does it do you think, or, or what is your thought about this? Yeah, I think it, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about before when we're really, really young. I mean, we're, we're not abstract when we're babies. You know, we don't even have language. So, I mean, we've all kind of talked about how we should tell kids you're not a bad boy, you did something bad, you know, when we're really young, we can't understand really the difference between that kind of stuff. So any sort of social rift or social break between you and mom, you and dad, you and caregiver, you and someone or anyone is going to create that sense 
me bad, not safe bad equals not worthy. You know, I mean, I'm I think. How do we as parents help our children with this? Because this is a way different world than we grew up in. And there's way more pitfalls and way more things that you've got to watch out for. So how do we start with our own? And and especially if we already feel like we failed in some ways. Well, everything starts with self-compassion. And, you know, as as parents, we have to be compassionate with ourselves. I work with a lot of moms of little kids. Parent guilt is, I mean, you know, we all feel it. No one has a perfect parent. I didn't have perfect parents. I wasn't a perfect parent. Um, What's more important in parenting than making sure we never screw up is being a model of someone who will fix it when we screw up, you know, being able to sort of admit that it, it teaches so much to the kids about just sort of being able to accept themselves warts and all. We all need to be able to do that. I believe that from a very young age, kids need to be trained in these tools that, you know, the three of us have come to later in life in order to be equipped because I mean, it's, it certainly would make the world a better place, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And it would also, it would also make it a lot easier for us to, to fulfill those missions in life that we're put here to do. Right. Yeah. 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 I agree. I actually, uh, I just, I just released uh, self-published a book and in the beginning part, I, I do a little talk on my thoughts about adding this to the education system because, you know, it, you know, trauma doesn't care if, if you have a 4.0 grade average. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, it doesn't care about your test scores. So to and, and just from this conversation right now, it almost sounds like, as you were saying, when you're a little kid, you, you can't really differentiate, but you get that feeling. It's that emotion. So I. In my head, I'm like, okay, so when I was a kid, I had this feeling and I myself came up with some kind of definition for this feeling, which probably was way off target, but that's what I did. So I self-inserted this thing that I'm not worthy. Okay. So everything else that I did from that point on stemmed from that foundation. Yeah. Yeah. So if we, if we can, I I think what you just said is that uh, everything starts with self-compassion. I, I just finished a, a book on self-compassion because it's something that I'm working on working towards. And uh, I, I fully agree with that sentence is, and I think a lot of people misconstrue the word self-compassion, you Definitely. know, self self-compassion isn't necessarily like, Oh, you know, Hey, this person's pissed me off. I'm going to tell them to fuck off. Like that's not, you know, I think what you were saying when Will asked about the kids, it's, it's being that example of, you know what? I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes. These are my mistakes. I'm going to accept them, but I'm also going to to work on them and maybe try to do this or try to and say to myself, you know what? It's okay that I make mistakes. I'm still worthy. I'm still human. I'm still trying and I'm 
you know, still likable or whatever you want to, you know, whatever word you want to insert into that. But I think that, yeah, this, if you, if there's not self-compassion mixed in this soup, um, you, you might be making the wrong soup. Yeah. 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 Well put. Yeah. I mean, I think, so I've talked about psychological fitness and I see five elements to psychological fitness, self-care, breathing, mindfulness, positivity, and self-compassion. Those are the areas that I think, you know, and, and I, I have my own nuances to how I believe they can be practiced, but I believe that those are the sort of the five main areas that we should all be working on in order to make ourselves the safe place. You know, we're looking this world is all about let's create safe spaces and I'm all for safe spaces, but let's be realistic. We can't make the world a safe place. We need the world, you know, it just becomes smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. The more we have to make it a safe, if we can be the safe place, then we can be in the world and we can make the world then a safer place. Because we can carry that to other places, and yeah. I, th I would like to think by, by, by doing that, by holding that inside of you, and I'm going to go over to Michelle's house, and we're going to talk, and you know what? Some of that is going to melt onto you, yeah. and I think it's just going to have that. That's that's brilliant. I love it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Self compassion is something that you know we we definitely need to strive towards and and work on for sure <laughs> there's there are so many things in the, in all of that so you really helped me understand more about positive psychology because you kind of gave me a little bit because in in some of my thoughts that that positive psychology is is that you know oh i'm 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 you know giving yourself the pep talk and talking about like um mantras and different things like i've i've heard so many different things over this the course of these years of you know you should look at yourself in the mirror and tell yourself you're going to be oh. okay and some of that stuff and that's why i asked about whether it was bullshit or not because how do you how do you believe that when you don't feel that? So it's really about getting to the root of the feeling. That's part of it. That that can be part of it. There, I mean, there are so many tools. But if you're asking about positive psychology itself, I'm or... I'm I'm more asking about it on the sense of how do we start to build ourselves back up using type some of these tools. As far as if if you really feel that you need that you feel very negative about yourself, but you know you need to start building it because at the heart of it, you do know that you're worthy of things, but you, but there's all these other circumstances going on and there's all this other stuff in your frequencies that are just causing you to doubt all of that. Yeah. So um, I'll go back to something I said before. Part of it is to sort of understand. I am. That's why I'm kind of launching this educational platform. It's really important to understand why this is happening. So yes, I know in my head I'm a worthy person, but I believe in my bones that I'm not worthy. Let's say that's the experience that you still have, you could say, okay, the reason I have that, I understand. I do sometimes. <laughs> yeah, 
it's a you know I I mean I I carry insecurity that people can validate me 24 7 on the things that I feel are defective about me and maybe it'll make me feel better for a millisecond but it but it'll also trigger this well they don't know they if they oh really my god found I, I was just gonna ask you this because that's what I do and I and I was gonna say that exact thing and then I was gonna say like what if you feel this way but then you also, you know, and this could be a cognitive distortion on my end. What if you see uh, patterns of the of supporting this? You know, I and mean, what if you go through it like, oh, I, I I did this and 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 no one liked it. I I I made this song and and it tanked or what? You know, I did this and it broke. So what if you know what I mean? Like that, and I'm I'm I I really I'm a firm believer of it, look within and and have everything intrinsic. But sometimes that extrinsic stuff does like I don't need it, but when you see patterns of it, it tends to to kind of push you down further for me. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot in what you just said. And it it does come back in a way to the compassion, because the bottom line, when you get below all of it and we could kind of play with, well, is it that you've accumulated these mistakes because of these unhelpful thoughts or are you having a cognitive distortion or this or that, you know, who even knows, but below all of it, if we can truly train ourselves to understand that, you know what, I am flawed. That's and that's okay. And that's really hard. I mean, that's really hard. We, we're not trained to believe that when we're very young. And these early learnings, they take hold. They feel like life or death. They <laughs> really feel like life or death. Because when we're young, that social approval is life or death. We are depending on people for our very survival, right? So feeling approved of feels very, very important. And then if we start to internalize those disapproval kinds of feelings, then of course it starts to feel like life or death. If I screw up this presentation, it feels like life or death again understanding this is just something that happened in my nervous system this is a mistake that my nervous system is making and it feels so real because the nervous system is designed to make alarms alarming so it's more is maybe i'm wrong correct me if i'm wrong it's more of like this may be a part of me but it's not me I am this, but there, you know, I may have a piece of this or this and this, you know, I have flaws, but I'm not defined by my flaws. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has to, I mean, we, we have to learn how to accept ourselves as flaws. We're, we're too fragile. It's, we're too fragile if we can't learn that, you know? So that. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you know, I think, I think it's tough in general, but like, 
if you're depending on where you are on the spectrum, I mean, we, we, we both, Will and I talk about, you know, the wellness spectrum, you know, I think one side's illness, one side's wellness. And depending on if you're closer to the illness side, some of those can have a deeper cut, you know? So I, I, yeah, I agree. It's just, I think it's sometimes it's hard to take that, pull yourself up on that ladder some days. It's really hard. (laughs) It's really, really hard. And so again, compassion is important, but sometimes you don't have access to that. And so therapy is important. I mean, um, for some people, therapy isn't as important. And for some people, you must have, until you're able to do that for yourself, you must have someone there as sort of a proxy for for that, you know, helping you and being with you and infusing that. Struggle buddy. Oh, struggle buddy. Yeah, you always yeah. got to have a struggle buddy. Yeah, you got to have a yeah. struggle buddy. Absolutely. Yeah, so it could be a therapist. It could be a friend. It could be a coach. It could be a, a, you know, a grandma. It could be someone in your imagination, but whatever. Well, speaking of struggle buddies, Tim and I have been struggle buddies now for quite some time. And you had asked at the beginning about our connection to music and everything. So I wanted to ask you first, why are you intrigued? Are you a musician? Are you, are you, are you a music lover? Is it, is that where it stems from? I'm a music lover and um, it's in my family. My grandmother was a, violinist in the Moscow Orchestra. She was a real violin prodigy. And then then World War II happened and um, Nazis. Yeah, absolutely. All of that kind of um, stuff. And there's music. I have music in me. I don't make music, but I, you know, music is my cure. And my son, he, he lives out in California. He's a musician now, among other things. And he went through some tough shit growing up. We had, we, you know, we had some, there were some problems that happened. And he says music saved him. Tim and I have met met through music because Tim was the drummer in the Albany Hardcore Band Section 8. Um, I was the singer in a band called Freak Nation. Um, we were both playing out at the same time. Uh, just different styles of uh, of harder rock and roll. And uh, Tim actually came with me uh, about a month ago. I did a show at the Fuse Box in Albany, and Tim and I did um, Tim and I did a cover of "I Am the Highway" from Chris Cornell, Audio Slave. You know, we both love music. Most of our most of the titles for the episodes come from a song. Can you actually tell our listeners where they can find you? So my website is michellemarksphd.com and that's it right now. Um, and the um, courses, I have the domain, but it's not yet linked because I'm just starting to populate the classes. Um, I've got the breathwork class. I've got a psychological fitness training class. There's many more in the works. And that website is going to be um, psych for the number four, yourlife.com. But it's also linkable through michellemarksphd.com. And um, 
So the, the next class that I think I'm going to be putting out is a class for IBS um, because the sort of um, brain gut connection is really, sure. really interesting. Sure. Absolutely. Really? That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for being here. We always end the podcast with three questions. So we're going to get rolling. Do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Well, I think um, my favorite word is flourish because I like to help people flourish and help eliminate obstacles. And I think I don't really like the word phlegm. <laughs> okay. It's, it's kind of gross. You know. It's kind of a gross word. It is kind of a gross <laughs> feeling, actually. I yeah. love that you I love that you chose flourish though, because flourish is kind of a musical term too, because yeah. especially in classical music. Uh, that's awesome. And nobody's ever used either one of those two words. No, no. <laughs> the second question is, and I have changed this up. I try to change it around whatever we are talking about and things. So something intrigued me, and I know this intrigues Tim. Uh, my grandmother used to drink tea every day now she wasn't a tea master or 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 anything and she drank lipton tea but she taught me the value of tea and i love tea although i'm more of a coffee person so i wanted to know where does tea fit into our our mental wellness oh tea is like wellness in a cup it's it really um i mean first of all it's got a lot of health benefits but i mean if you go across cultures and throughout the world there are so many different tea ceremonies and tea rituals that people use and just i mean just in terms of the chemicals in tea tea calms and uplifts at the same time and that's just a really nice kind of balanced state to experience it's aromatic it's warm in the hands it's 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 wonderful people connect via tea sitting and having a cup of tea with someone so tea if it, it fits all over the place with mental wellness it truly is really all about connection and it's been awesome so awesome connecting to you and I'm so glad that we were able to connect and that you were willing to come on and, and share all your stuff with us. It's, it's been awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I just wanted to say thank you too. Uh, not only for, for, for helping our listeners flourish, but um, you know, I, I, you made an impact on me, you know, with your knowledge and wisdom. And, and so just, I really, really appreciate you being here with us. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you guys too. You're doing something so important, so brave. So thank you. Thank you. So the last question is. Oh, another one. Yes. This is kind of a big one, but whatever. Um, if there was something that you would like to see done or that you could do for mental health without any kind of restraint, what would it be? Well, we kind of talked about it already. I would integrate psychological fitness training into every curriculum starting, starting in preschool. And that would just be, you know, there's physical fitness, there's gym class, right? So there needs to be psychological fitness training to make kids be their own safe space, resilient, courageous, strong, flexible. That's, that's what I would do. Perfect. I could not agree more. Perfect. Mm -hmm.
I love it. That was awesome. Thank you so much, Michelle, for being here. You can find Michelle at michellemarksphd.com. I'll have all of the information in the show notes. Timmy, wow. Wow. I'm, yeah. Not a, what a great way to start the day, man. Wow. Amazing. I'm like, I'm like psyched to just, you know, just get up and smile now. <laughs> yeah. It, that was, I was, it's great, man. So yeah. There awesome. was a lot of, lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of nuggets in there, a lot of good, um, a lot of good tips and tricks, which we like to put out there. Um, I really hope that people will visit her website and, um, you know, look into her classes because um, she's full of knowledge and wisdom for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's awesome that we, we get to connect with people like Michelle and, and others out there. So we're going to get out of here. So until next week, get well, be safe, stay above thank you for giving us a listen new episodes every wednesday if you listen on apple podcast you can share rate review and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode other ways to support the show follow us on social media share the content share our episodes you can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod for further concerns show ideas or just to say hi you can email us at above ground podcast at gmail once again thank you for listening and supporting mental health keep the conversation going and stay above